Turn with me in your copies of God's Word to the book of Ephesians. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> this morning we'll be considering verse 22, verse 23. Um, yeah, we continue to, um, in an expository manner, go through this, um, this, this book. And hopefully this morning we'll be able to finish chapter 1. We've been able to, <clears throat> been able to see there the the people the, the author of this letter and then the people to whom the letter has been written the saints in ephesus the faithful in christ jesus and then we've been able to see the work of god the father god the son and god the holy spirit uh in in the father choosing a people for himself the son uh accomplishing redemption for them and the holy spirit applying that redemption uh on the people of god and then for the past couple of weeks we've been considering this prayer that the apostle paul makes for the ephesians um <clears throat> and so we will finish up with with that prayer i'm going to read the whole chapter then this morning we'll, we'll consider verse 20 to verse 23. ephesians chapter one this is the inspired word of god Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him when in him we have received sorry, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, 
that he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I'm going to pray and ask God for help as we consider um, these verses before us. And then we will jump into it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is food for our souls. We thank you that um, it is to be desired more than gold. Um, we thank you that it is sweeter than honey. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that the precepts of it would be clear to us. We ask that you would help us to savor it, feed upon it, as those feeding upon the bread of life. We pray that the Spirit of God may use the Word of God so that the Son of God may be conspicuous. We ask that we may be those that keep your testimonies and that you may be glorified by having us listen to your word for our blessing. Help me not to give uh, these dear ones my own ideas, but to be faithful to the text. Grant that you'd give me an ability to apply this to their consciences the praise and glory of your name and for the good of their souls so please help us now we pray this in jesus name amen this morning i, I bring before you a sermon that i have titled christ rules now and forever christ rules now and forever We've, we've been going through this passage here on prayer and we've been able to see that um, the Ephesians are true believers. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul has heard of their faith in Christ. He has heard of their love toward the saints and Pastor Manassas has done a, a brilliant job in, in showing us that you're a believer because you believe in Christ. And the effect of believing in Christ is that you love the saints. You love others. The whole idea that Kanisa ni roya mtu is completely foreign from the scriptures. The church is the household of God uh, comprising of the people of God that have been redeemed by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that then, all who have been redeemed, all who have been saved, all who have partaken of the work that Christ has done by his Holy Spirit as we've seen from verse 3 to verse 14, all of them love all the other people that Christ has saved. And then we've been able to see the place of prayer um, in, in, in this same passage. That we give thanks to God when we come to him. We bring our supplications to him, which is what the Apostle Paul does. When he's remembering them in, in, in his prayers, he gives thanks to God for them. And then he has particular things to pray, to pray for about them. Now... 
when you go before God, you do not you do not pray according to the desires of your heart as it were. You pray to God according to his will. Now when you look at the way the apostle Paul prays here, you should learn from him. Even more, learn from the way the Lord Jesus Christ prays uh, when he comes before before his father. Now we are able to see here that uh, uh, the apostle Paul prays to the father. He prays to the father uh, the, the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he prays in Christ. We know that it is in Christ that he's praying because the passage is filled with that phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. And then he prays that um, they may get the spirit of wisdom, that the power of the Holy Spirit may affect their hearts so that they may, they may know how to live out the Christian faith. They may know God and how to walk in him. They may, they may have their eyes eyes of their hearts enlightened that they may know what are the riches the, the three what's that they uh, that our pastor brought us to brought to us last week to see uh there from verse 18 having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you're called what are the riches of um what are the riches of his glorious inheritance and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So the Apostle Paul prays for them that they may know God. Now this morning, I'd like us to see how he transitions in his prayer to communicate the greatness of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, that Christ rules now and Christ rules forever, that Christ reigns now and Christ reigns forever. Now he says there from verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe and then he now gets to the part that we are going to, to be considering according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and, and, and from there now he starts speak, speaking about Christ how Christ is that Christ has been raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule now he gives us a, the supremacy of Christ that he is above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to, to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all I'd like you to see here from this passage that Christ rules now and forever because one, he is raised from the dead. From verse 20. And then number two, he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. From verse 20 and 21. Number three, that Christ rules now and forever because it is in this age and in the age to come from verse 21 and lastly Christ rules now and forever because 
all things are under his feet. Verses 22 and 23. Christ is king because he's raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God, uh, uh, of the Father in the heavenly places. He is king in this age and in the one to come. And he is king because all things are under his feet. Now, <clears throat> there are rulers and, and kings in, in, this, in this world that we live in. And um, everyone who is uh, great dies, comes to an end. Mohammed died. Um, our founding president, Kenyatta, died. Moi died. Kibaki died. Think of the greatest people on the face of this earth. As many of them as you can. They've all died. But then we have a king who reigns with the might of God. Look at verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. The Lord Jesus Christ reigns with the, the greatness of God, the, the might of God, the mightiness, if you will, of God. And we know that he, da he, he reigns with the might of God according to, uh, according to the working of the, the, the Father's might because that's what the text tells us, that he worked in Christ. Christ was raised from the, from the dead by the power of the might of God. So, number one, Jesus is raised from the dead. He rules now and forever because he is raised from the dead. According to the working of the great might of God, he has worked in Christ and he has raised him from the dead. However great one becomes, They are going to die. And we are going to consider the whole matter of death in the afternoon sermon. But then we, we've been able to see that without Christ in this world, everything is vanity. But why? Why Christ? The Apostle Paul gives it to us here that Christ has been raised from the dead. Um... In Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24, we read, Peter is speaking to the men of Israel. He tells them, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus is king. He rules now and forever. Because he is raised from the dead. You see. We are going to be. I am going to take you to 1 Corinthians 15. And if Jesus would not be raised from the dead. His praises would not be ringing. The way, the, the way, the way we, we ring them. Or the way we sing them. The Lord Jesus Christ. Conquered death. So he is born into this world. He conquers the law of God. He completely obeys the law of God. 
perfectly keeps the law of God. And then he is crucified on behalf of sinners because God made him who knew no sin to be seen so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then when he is crucified, he gets to the grave and on the third day, all the prophecies come true. He raises, he's, he's raised from the grave. Death, that death could not hold him down. He rules and reigns because first and foremost, he has been raised from the dead. Now, realize that in the context, the Apostle Paul is praying for the saints in Ephesus that they may know this power of God that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. If you're a Christian here this afternoon, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. You see that power? That's the power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that work, that power, the Apostle Paul says, raised Christ from the dead. That power is at work within the believer. He is continuously praying for them that they may know that, that power, um, that great might of God, that God has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Jesus is our king because God has raised him from the grave. Because he is alive. Jesus is alive. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> it's not my habit to move uh, to many verses, but just like to show you that God has according to the power of his great might, raised Jesus from the grave. First Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles last of all as one untimely born he appeared also to me for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we, uh, so we preach, and so you believed. You see, the believers have believed in a risen Lord. A reason, Christ. And the power that raises Jesus from the grave, the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesians believers that they may know it, that they may have it, that it may continually be in them. Now see, see there in 1 Corinthians that Jesus died. 
Jesus was buried and Jesus was raised on the third day and this was in fulfillment uh, uh, to prophecy it was in accordance with the scriptures and then we have the evidences that he was actually raised he appeared to Cephas he appeared to the twelve he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time he appeared to James and then he appeared to the Apostle Paul as the last Apostle If you believed in Jesus Christ, the Jesus that we believe in is a risen Lord. Jesus is alive. Only a risen Savior is able to save. The matter of Jesus being raised from the dead is of utmost importance to the Christian faith. Look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And we're going to see how, if Christ has not been raised, why have we believed? What are we preaching? What are we saying? Why are we seated here? Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even to be found misrepresenting God, because we testify, because we testify about God, that he raised Christ. Now Christ rules, reigns now and forever because God raised him. And if God did not raise him, we are misrepresenting him. Because we are saying that it is God who raised him. And even more, we are praying to... What are we praying to God? What power are we asking God to give his people if that power did not raise Jesus from the grave? Do you see how these things are connected? Jesus has been raised. That makes him king. He rules now and forever. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Now, notice there that the resurrection of Christ is attached to faith. And then in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has heard of the faith, the faith of the Ephesians, right? And because of that, then he, he prays that that power um, that is immeasurably great, and the Ephesians may continue to know it. So he says there, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see how important the resurrection of Christ is? If he's going to be king, he must have been raised from the dead. If he's going to be king, the king that we believe in, he must be alive. Because if he if he is dead, if he's not been he's, he's not been raised, we are to be pitied. We are to be pitied. Now, think with me for a moment that the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us that everything is vanity without God. The Apostle Paul in this passage tells us that we have believed in futility, in vanity. It's vain. Our faith is in vain. Do you see how these things are connected? Because if we believe in Christ, then life is not vanity, is it? If we have not believed in Christ, the preacher argues, then Ecclesiastes, 
Life is vanity. Everything is vanity. Pleasure, toil, wisdom, everything. But if we believe in Christ, then things have meaning. If we fear God, we go to Him through Christ, everything has meaning. But if Christ has not been raised from the dead, my dear friends, all is vanity. All is vain. We are, are, are most to be pitied. And then look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Our faith is alive. We have hope for eternity because Christ has been raised. Christ is our king because Christ has been raised. Christ has meaning to us. His salvation and his redemption is meaningful to us because he has been raised. Because he has been raised. We have been made alive. We're going to come back to that passage. But please go back with me to Ephesians 1. So you see there, very simply, Christ rules now and forever because he is raised from the dead. Number two, Christ rules now and forever because he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. According to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Then we see there in verse 21, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So we see that Christ is king because he is seated at the right hand of God. Here we have a reference to an Old Testament passage which is the most cited in the New Testament. Do you know that? The, the matter of Christ being seated at the right hand of God has been cited from uh, 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 Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that passage is the most quoted passage in the New Testament. Christ being uh, uh, occupying that place of preeminence, place of authority. When he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore. He's saying he, he is the most powerful. He is the greatest. He is the one with all, with all the authority. Because God has given it to him. The Apostle Paul tells us that Christ rules now and forever according, um, according to the working of the great might of God that he has worked in, in him because he is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And we see there that Christ is seated at the most prominent place, the most prominent seat. Now, we know that God does not have a hand. So that when the Bible says that the arm of the Lord is mighty, he's not saying that God has, has a hand, really. Um, again, it is anthropomorphic language, giving God the attributes of men so that we may be able to understand what he's saying. But even more, when, when the Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of God, he's saying the, the highest, prominent, most prominent place that there can ever be in this world 
That's where the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is king. He rules. He reigns now and forever because God has given him the, that place that is above every place. That the authority that, that is above all authorities. Look at verse 21. Far above all rule. It's, it's far above everyone. This is to say that Christ is exalted above everyone and everything. Go with me to chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 9 and 10. Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he, he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things the lord jesus christ is at the most prominent place far above everything far above everyone far above all heavens he is there in the heavenly places occupying the highest seat in the whole universe christ is the lord christ rules christ is the king now and forever because he occupies the highest seat he's seated at the right hand of of god in the heavenly places now see that it is not far above nothing it is far above all all rule and authority and power and dominion it is far above everything now john in his gospel tells us that john the baptist knew that christ was from above and because he is from above he he is therefore above all no one compares to God. No one can match up to Him. No one can, no one can look like Christ. He is the greatest. He, he has the greatest seat. He is the matchless one. So when we read there that He is above all rule and authority and power and dominion, we read that Christ is above all the principalities. That we will be waging war against. Go to chapter 6 of Ephesians. Ephesians 6 verse 10. <clears throat> and I'm doing this so that you may be able to see how intricately connected the message of this book is. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now you see there in chapter 1, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places and he is far above all those principalities, all those rulers, all those authorities all those powers or every dominion christ is above all of them he rules now and forever he reigns now and forever no one can compare to him no one can compare to him go with me back to first corinthians 15. i'm sorry for taking you back and forth but just to emphasize this point it's where we left off first corinthians 15. So read there in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those 
who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death for God has put look at verse 27 God has put all things in subjection under his feet Christ is king because he is seated in the most prominent seat he is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places and he has rulership over all authorities all power all all powers all dominions he 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 is the most powerful he is the greatest he rules god has god has according to his great might worked this in christ so that he is one raised him from the dead and two seated him at the right hand of god in the heavenly places now <clears throat> look at the scope now the, the, the scope continues it, it's, it's from uh it's it, it's above all rule and authority and power and dominion and it is above every name that is named there is no better name in this world than the name of jesus and that doesn't mean that you now name your child Jesus because there's no better name than that. But that simply means that his name is the greatest. No name comes close to his. No name has power like the name of Jesus. Now, again, not in the sense that the charismatic takes it. and says we pray for this hymn book, we anoint it with the name of Jesus. No, it's, it's not in that sense. It's in the sense, in, in the sense that Christ is ruling. Christ has all authority, he has all power, all dominion. He is above every name that is named. So we read there. The name of Jesus must be sweet. At least, at least to the ear of the believer. Um, if the unbeliever is not going to see the name of Christ as great, the believer must. The hymn writer says, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole, this name, and calms the troubled breast. It is manna to the hungry soul, and to the weary it is rest. Dear name, the rock on which I build, my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. You know that song? Number 134 in your hymn books. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. And it is sweet because it is above every name that is named. There is no name like the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the best. His name is the highest. And that is, that is what it must be for you if you are a Christian here this afternoon. And Christ is your king because he has the greatest name. He is your king because he has been raised from the dead. And he is your king because he is seated in the heavenly places. He's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. He has rulership over all the powers, all the, the, the dominions, all the principalities. 
and his name is the greatest in Philippians chapter 2 don't have to go to go there I'll just read it for you Philippians 2 we are given the example of Christ in humility we're told of how humble the humble servant the Lord Jesus Christ um, we told of what he did for us um, and because of what Christ did God has, has given him the best name the greatest name Philippians 2 so if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves so he's given them the the imperative told them what to do and then he's going to give them the indicative he's going to tell them why why do this let each of you look not to his own interest but also to the interest of others the imperative this is what you should do look to the interest of others the indicative have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but what did he do he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross and what has god done because of what christ did therefore a god has highly exalted him god has placed him in that place of prominence that place of preeminence he has highly exalted him he has bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth everywhere everywhere the name of Christ should be lifted up and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father that he is king that he is the ruler that he is the one who reigns Is this the Jesus Christ that you have believed in? The one who has been raised from the dead, the one who is seated in the most prominent place at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, who has the name that is above every name? Is this the Christ that you hold so precious? Is this the Christ that you trust in? Is this the Christ through whom you go to God in prayer? You know when the apostle Paul is going before God in prayer this is the Christ that he goes to God through this is the one through whom the apostle Paul goes to God the greatest the most powerful the supreme one the most preeminent the king of kings and the lord of lords God then has given him the name that is above all names realize that it is only through this this Jesus this kind that anyone is saved if you believe in any other Christ the God the Christ of the Mormons the Christ of the Jehovah Witness the Christ of the SDA he doesn't save the Christ of the Catholics the one who has who has abdicated his responsibility and given it to the Pope that one cannot save it's this Christ who reigns from heaven above this one was all power this one was been raised from the dead this one was seated 
at the most prominent place. This is the one who saves. Those who believe in him, therefore are saved. I mean, how can you not be saved when you believe in this kind of Christ? When you believe in the biblical Jesus, how can you not be saved? When the Bible says, come to him. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12 we read, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When Peter says that, the authorities tell, tell him, the authorities tell him, do not, we do not want to hear you guys preaching in the name of Christ. We don't want to hear about that resurrection. We don't want to hear anything about it. And then what does, what does Peter and John say? Uh, we are going to obey God rather than men. Right? And because we are going to obey God rather than men, we are going to continue to proclaim Christ. Because Christ, Christ has been raised from the dead. You crucified him, but God has raised him. And there is salvation in no one else. It's in this, in this Christ, this Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He has the name that is above every name. So believe upon him. Trust in him. Look to him. Uh, depend on him. You're going to be saved. <clears throat> Someone please uh, help me with that chicken. <laughs> Number three, Christ rules now and forever because it is in this age and in the one to come. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and that's where I've gotten my title that he rules now and he rules forever the reign of Christ is not limited it is eternal it is now and forever it continues throughout all eternity to infinity and beyond forever and ever it is not limited to a particular nation a particular sphere as the kings of this earth are limited it is not limited to this world and its kingdoms listen to what john calvin says quote the glories of men and angels are made to hold an inferior place that the glory of christ unequaled and unapproached may shine above them all end quote the glories that God has given men, the kings of this earth, they have been made in such a way, John Calvin argues, so that the glories of Christ may be unequaled, that they may be unapproached, that Christ may shine above everyone and everything else. And so his rulership, that he rules, he reigns, he has all power, all dominion over all the principalities, is not just for a moment. It's not even just for now. No, no, it's for now and forever. Christ reigns now and forever, for all eternity. God has loved us with an everlasting love. That everlasting love is known in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King who rules now and forever. Trust Him. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Look to Him. Believe in Him. 
pray to God like the Apostle Paul through this, this Christ, this Jesus. Number four, lastly, all things. Christ uh, reigns, Christ rules now and forever because all things are under his feet. All things are under his feet. Look at verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now is Christ the head of us as a church? How many churches um, are you going to enter and hear nothing of Christ? How many? Uncountable. And they have their they have their warnings there in Revelation. But it is unfortunate that the number of churches that you can enter today, this Lord's Day, and hear nothing of Christ are so many. And you want to know that the message is not about Christ when it is about you. When you listen to a sermon, ask yourself, who is this sermon about? Is it about me and my well-being or is it about Christ? Then you know. Hmm? Is Christ the head of this church? If he is, then we proclaim him. God has put everything under his feet. He is the head of all things to the church. In his church, Christ is king. In the whole universe, Christ is king. Christ may not be king to the unbeliever in, in his unbelief, but Christ must be king to the believer. He must be king. Because God has put all things under his feet. God has given him as head over all things, especially to the church. Now, is Christ the head of you, dear saint? We live in a day and time where people can put off Christ and deal with their issues and then put, put him on again. Is Christ your head? Is he the one who determines the way you will walk, the way you will talk, the way you will conduct yourself, the way you will live? Is Christ your head? Bible tells us that God has put all things under his feet. He has given him as head over all things to the church. In his church, Christ is king. He must be king. He must be your king if you're going to be his. Christ is not going to save any man whom he will not be lord over. He is not only savior, he is both lord and savior. Is Christ your lord? Is Christ your king? Make that self-inquiry. Ask yourself time and time again. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you walking 
with God in the light of his word? Are you trusting him? Are you obeying him? Are you, is Christ your Lord? Are you following him? Christ must be your head, dear saint. Christ is king, now and forever, because all things are under his feet. And those all things include you. They include the, the rulers, the principalities, the powers, the, the, all those things. But you are therein. He must be head by you. There's a phrase there that says um, that Christ is... Now before you consider verse 23, go with me to, again, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26, he says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Everything is under Christ. Everything is under Christ. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection. It is plain that he is accepted who put all things in in subjection under him when all things are subjected subjected to him the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all the Apostle Paul is arguing that God the Father has put everything under the feet of Christ and God the Son willingly willingly submits to his father so that the whole trinity may be all in all and you see the same the same language there in verse 23 which is his body the fullness of him who feels all in all now that phrase there which is his body the fullness of him I'd like you to look at that phrase what does it mean and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church the church which is his body the fullness of him then he says who feels all in all that phrase there like, i like to submit to you that it's a very comforting truth to the christian i'm willing to bet that you have not considered this that jesus the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things has united himself to his church his bride he says that the church grants him fullness. The church is his body. He is the head. He is the bridegroom. She is the bride. He is the vine, the church, the branches. He is the shepherd, the church, the sheep. The church, to use the words of the Apostle Paul there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the fullness of him the church which is his body is the fullness of him who feels all in all and Christ is uniting himself to his church in an inseparable way even though Christ is a say he is self-existent uh, self-sufficient the aseity of God which we'll consider in the attributes of God even though he is he does not need anything or anyone. It's, isn't it comforting to know that Christ 
unites himself to his church. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says that the church being the body of Christ is the fullness of him who feels all in all. No, not that he is incomplete without the church, not that he is insufficient without the church, but he has, according to the counsel of his will, as he's been constantly telling us, the Apostle Paul, according to the counsel of God's will, he has attached himself to the church, granting union with him to all who believe. What a precious truth. What a comforting truth that Christ has united himself to the church and he says that, that that's the fullness of him who feels all in all. He feels all in all in that he feels the whole universe and that in all respects. The whole universe is dependent upon him. The whole universe is governed by him. He feels all in all. While the church is inseparably united to Christ, the phrase, the fullness of him who feels all in all, is there added to show that Christ is independent. Even though the Apostle Paul tells us that the church is his body, the fullness of, of him, he goes ahead to tell, tell us that nonetheless, even though Christ has united himself to the church, he is independent. He is the fullness, uh, 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 so he is the one who feels all in all. He does not need the church. For he is the fountain of all things. In himself he has all power and might. In himself he is the fountain of life. With no lack, no one can give to him. He is fulfilled in himself. Sufficiency. That's what Timothy Brindle says. He feels all in all. I've already made a few applications to you but then I'd like to encourage you to look to Christ and by that I mean depend on him trust in him let him be your all in all be consumed by him be mesmerized by him it's, it's Robert Murray McShane who said for every one look you give to yourself, grant ten looks to Christ. Look at him ten times, hundred times, a thousand times, many times, infinite number of times. Look to Christ. He's the king. He's the one who reigns now. He's the one who reigns forever and ever. Look to him. Number two, pray through Christ. You see, this is a prayer the Apostle Paul is making. And he's, he's done the thanksgiving, he's done the supplication, and then in the end there, he gives us the one through whom he prays, and he magnifies him, he exalts him, he shows us his greatness, his authority, his supremacy, his preeminence. Pray through Christ. There's a sense in which you do pray through Christ, right? Pray through Christ even more. Pray through Christ with a new understanding. 
with new light. May God grant that you would see this Christ the way he is and use him to go before God. Because if you believe in him, he's yours. He's yours. You don't need me as your pastor. You don't need the church. You don't need your friends. You don't need your family. You don't need anyone to grant you access to God. You need Christ alone. So pray through him. Number three. Pray appropriately. And by that I mean pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul does. He prays to the Father. He prays through this majestic Christ, the one who is able to grant us access to God. And he asks God for the Spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit of God, who alone is able to make us wise to know God. So pray appropriately. Look to Christ. Pray through Christ and pray appropriately. Let's pray. Father, we look to you, the sovereign ruler of the skies, the one who possesses immeasurable greatness, power beyond measure, great might. We look to you. We call upon you that you may help us to look to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that you have given all power and authority, all rulership. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that your grace may be sufficient for us, that we may be able to look to Christ. We come to you in the name of Jesus, this great majestic Lord, the one who's been raised from the dead, the one who is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God, the one who is above all rule and authority and power and dominion, the one who, is, who has the name that is above every name, the one through whom salvation can be obtained. We come to you through this Christ who has authority over all things, who uh, uh, who, through whom everything is under, everything is under his feet, we come to you through his name. Him who feels all in all, him who has all, all the authority. Lord, we come to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray now, even as we conclude this passage, that you may grant us spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that you may grant the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which we you've called us to what are the riches of the glorious inheritance that you've given us in christ and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe grant these things by your holy spirit lord help us for we are a needy people. Bless us with these things, Lord. For we pray through uh, 
um, our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.